as we are preparing ourselves for Christmas, we are focusing upon Galatians chapter 4, 4, and 5 for Advent. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Last week, we considered the phrase fullness of time and noted that that included three ideas, that the time was an appointed time, a specific time that had been set and established by God uh, in eternity past that his son would come forth. It was an appropriate time. Everything was, was made ready for the coming of the Son. And the third is that it was accomplished, it was fulfilled, it was completed. This morning, we're going to center upon the phrase, God sent forth His Son. As we think about the phrase, God sent forth His Son, it's a rather unique statement. Uh, sent forth is actually not a phrase in the original it's a compound word. And it really uh, literally means to send out or to send from. Uh, as you think of the word uh, apostle, that is actually a transliterated word of the Greek word uh, apostello, which simply means to be sent. This word is ex apostello, which means to be sent out or to be sent from. It speaks of the pre-incarnation of the Son of God. It refers to his pre-existence. It is John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this verse is telling us that he was sent out from the Father. Uh, I'm going to focus more upon that next week, actually, uh, when we look at the phrase, uh, born of a woman. So this morning, I'm going to limit myself to the idea of simply sending. God sent his son. Rooted in the concept of sending is dispatching one on a mission. So our theme this morning is a consideration of the implications of God sending his son. In the book of John, Jesus speaks of nine ramifications of his being sent by God. That's why we're using PowerPoint this morning, because I have an 18-point message. Uh, and uh, so that uh, is a little tough to follow, a little tough to hang with, and so we're going to use some PowerPoint to help you through. Now, those of you who are relatively good at math, if you take 18 points, you multiply that by 2, that's 36 minutes. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any one of these points. But what I want to do is give you an overview of what it means for the Son to be sent into this world. Nine ramifications in the uh, book of John. So let's look at these together. First, Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ did not come simply on his own initiative. John chapter 7, verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I came from, but I have, now, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. 
So we're looking at this aspect that he did not come of his own accord, meaning that this was not a self-willed uh, coming on the part of the son. Uh, he was not acting independent of the father, but it was part of the father's plan to send the son. Now, the son was certainly willing. Hebrews 10 tells us, consequently, when Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you took no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. So Jesus certainly was willing to come into the world. But the idea here is that God the Father commissioned or sent him. He was not running ahead of the Father, but acting in concert with the Father. As opposed to, in the Old Testament, false prophets. And God said, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. I did not send them, yet they ran. That's not true of Jesus. He came because God the Father wanted him to come. Secondly, Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ did not come with his own agenda. He came to fulfill the Father's agenda. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus' whole life was dedicated to accomplishing the will of the Father. Of course, that great statement when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus' life was dedicated to accomplishing the will of the Father. Third, Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ did not come with his own message, but rather delivered the message of the Father who sent him. John 3:34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. The one whom God has sent utters the words of God. So Jesus came proclaiming the Father's message, which adds to that whole aspect of authority. When I was a very young child, before we had owned our own farm, my father uh, served uh, as a uh, manager of a very large show farm. Uh, they had show cattle, uh, the, the fields were on display, and there were a number of men that worked for my father. Now you gotta remember this is in the time before cell phones, this was before the time of mass communication, and guys would be working out in the field, and my father would send me, and at the time I was five years old, he would send me out into the fields to deliver a message uh, to the guys that were working out there. Usually that he wanted to come in and wanted them to do something else. And I would go out, and who's this five-year-old boy? Why would anybody listen to him? Except that I would go and say, my father said. And that made all the difference in the world. Now, Jesus is not a five-year-old boy. He has authority in and of himself. But the idea here is that a sent one is one who speaks on the authority of another. 
And because he speaks on the authority of another, that means he gives the message of the one who sent. Fourthly, Christ being sent includes the idea that he came not to bring glory to himself, but to the Father. John 7, 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him, here's our words, who sent me is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So Jesus did not come to glorify himself, to promote himself, to bring attention to himself. He came to glorify God the Father. Fifth, Christ being sent includes the idea that he ministers with God's blessing. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus was saying God the Father was with him. He was assisting him. He was helping him. He was enabling him. He was empowering him. God the Father was ministering through him. Six, Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ must be doing the work that God has given him to do. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said that to the disciples when he was at the uh, well. Uh, he had sent them off to gather food. And while he was there, he was talking to the woman at the well, uh, leading her uh, to put faith and trust in himself. He said that he must accomplish the work that the Father had given him to do. John 9, 34. Uh, we must work the works of him who sent me. Very akin to doing the Father's will, but here specifically it's talking about specific actions that he was to accomplish or to do. When Jesus is a child, we are introduced to him and as a 12-year-old child that is in Jerusalem uh, celebrating a feast with his parents and his parents leave part of a large caravan assuming that Jesus is with some relatives and they find out that Jesus isn't with them and they go back and find him in the temple and they said why are you here and he said do you not know that I must be about my father's business his life was dedicated to accomplishing the works that God had given him to do The context of Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5 speak to us of that work. For it says in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and now here's the work, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. That was the primary work that Jesus was given to do to redeem those who are under the law. Now there are many subpoints to that. There was the preaching, there was the teaching, there was the healing. There were a lot of things associated with 
that redemptive work, but that is the focal point of Christ's redemptive work. We find in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent, and here's our exact same word, sent forth his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. It all focuses on this aspect of salvation. That was the main work that he was to do. Seventh, Christ being sent includes the idea that to reject Christ is to reject the Father who sent him. Because he's coming on the authority of the Father, to reject Christ is to reject the Father. Notice John chapter 5, verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay? Because he's sent by the Father. If you don't respect me, you don't respect the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So if you honor the Son, you have life, for you have honored the Father. If you reject the Son, you do not have life, for you have rejected the Father. Eighth, Christ being sent includes the idea that he calls us to believe in the one who sent him. John 12, 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And you notice in each one of these, these verses, you have that ex exact phrase. He sent me. So it is to believe in the Father by believing in him, for it's the Father who sent him. And ninth, the essence of eternal life is having a relationship to God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Went through that very, very quickly. I did not unpack that. But now, we want to take a moment and think about some application. As the Father sent Christ into the world, so too Christ sends us into the world. John 17, 17 and 18. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The them includes not just the immediate disciples, but it also includes us. It includes us. So we want to talk about what are the implications of that comparison. What are we to learn from this aspect that as the Father sent him, so he sends us? You may be familiar with a hymn, it's in our hymnal, uh, So Send I You. And the chorus goes, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. It has five stanzas. Unfortunately, 
the five standards are not based on scripture. The five things it says is not what the scripture says. Uh, first stanza talks about uh, as he labor unrewarded, so we labor unrewarded. That's not at all what the Bible says is the way that we were sent. You see, we are told, John chapter 17, verse 18, that we're sent into the world not in a vacuum. There have been all this teaching about Jesus being sent that climaxes in our being sent. As the Father sent me, so send I you. That there's a, a comparison. There is to be a direct correlation in God's sending his son with now Jesus sending us. And as I say, it is about us. For John 17, 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So it's talking about the disciples coming down through the generations that he is sending us. As we think about this great uh, comparison, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it said, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. We are not true sons, but we are adopted sons. There is a sense in which our sonship mirrors the true sonship. And that is part of the basis of our being sent. That's part of the fact that God sent his son. That's what happens to sons now we are sons of God, and now we are sent. So the two ideas go together. Sonship carries with it privilege, duty, and responsibility. And we'll look at that next week. This morning, I just want to reiterate now those nine uh, ways in which God sent his son to speak of how we are to go into this world, how we are sent. So, number one. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea that Jesus did not come simply of his own initiative, so too we do not go of our own initiative. John 7.28 is what it says about Christ. I have not come of my own accord. Romans 10 speaks about us. Romans 10? Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see, before we can declare the word of God, we have to know and have an intimate and personal relationship to Jesus Christ. 
We can't declare God's truth without being a child of God. We don't go of our own initiative. We don't go because we just feel like going, but we are commissioned to go. A great commission. Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. So we are sent. That is our authority. We are to go to people in Romans and say who have not asked of us. Why should we go to somebody who doesn't want to hear? Because we've been sent. We've been commissioned. We go not of our own initiative or our own authority, but we're sent. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ did not come with his own agenda, he came to fulfill the Father's agenda, so too we are to fulfill the Father's agenda. Again, concerning Christ, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Concerning us, 1 John 2, 17, and the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We are to do the will of God. Romans chapter 12, it's not up there, but Romans 12, starting with verse 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to do that good, perfect, acceptable will of God. That's what our life is to be about. Even as Jesus' life was not about his own agenda, but doing the will of the one who sent him. Next, just as Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ did not come with his own message, but rather delivered the message of the Father who sent him, so too we come not with our own message, but with God's message. John 4.34 for he whom God sent utters the word of God. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to his disciples, says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what we are to teach is what Jesus has commanded us to teach. We don't come with our own message. We don't get to decide what is to be declared any more than when I went and talked to the men in the fields, I didn't get to just tell them what to do. I couldn't go out there and say, uh, you know, you're supposed to play with me for the next hour. I had to deliver the message of the Father. Uh, we can't determine what the gospel is. We can't make the gospel more acceptable to people. We must proclaim the message as it has been given to us, unaltered, unadulterated, unchanged. We deliver that message. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea he came not to bring glory to himself, but to the Father, so too we are bring honor and glory to God. John 17, 8, referring to Christ, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In Ephesians, we learn in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined 
according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Uh, we are to minister in such a way that glory is not given to us, but glory is given to the one that has sent us. Next, just as Christ being sent includes the idea that he ministers with God's blessing, so too we minister with God's blessing. John 8, 29, he who sent me is with me, referring to Jesus. And now notice what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus said to them, all authority is in heaven and on earth and has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just as the Father was with the Son, the Son says, I will be with you. I will empower you. I will enable you. I will help you. I will bless you. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea that Christ must do the work that God has given him to do, we must do the work that God has given us to do. John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me. Speaking of us, Ephesians 2 and following, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had a purpose in saving each and every one of us. God has works for us to do. And even as Jesus found it necessary to be about his Father's will and work, we must find it necessary to be about the work that God has given us to do. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea that to reject Christ is to reject the Father who sent him, so too, when people reject our message, they are in fact rejecting Christ. John 5.23, referring to Jesus, it says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. Now notice what it says about the disciples. Luke 10.16, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. How can that be said? We're going with the, the message that God has given to us. Therefore, to reject our message is to reject God's message. Just as Christ being sent includes the idea that he calls us to believe in the one who sent him, so too our being sent is to call people to believe in Christ. John 12, 44, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. Concerning us, Romans 10, 12 and following, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. And then I should have underlined this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? You see, we are to call on people to believe in the one who has sent us. Not to believe us, but to believe him. 
in a similar manner that the essence of eternal life is having a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So too, having eternal life results in relationship to us and to God. This is probably the most mind-boggling of it all. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 20 and 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for these who will be in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be in us. It's talking about an eternal future relationship. That, that we are going to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And the two ideas are inseparable. You can't have fellowship with God without having fellowship with God's people. And you can't have fellowship with God's people without having fellowship with God. They are together. And the very purpose that Christ was sent into the world was so that we would enjoy that fellowship to God and to one another. That we would be adopted sons, Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says, that we'd be a part of God's family. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the children of God. I went through this extremely fast, but I just want you to get an overview of the book of John. Because John is laying a foundation. A foundation that is summarized just in a very minuscule way in Galatians 4.4 in the fullness of time God sent forth his son John begins to unpack those things John 1, 1 referring to the sending forth in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God all things were made by him without him was not anything made and then a long dissertation throughout the entire book of John of what it means that God sent his son into this world. And then this incredible declaration that as the Father has sent me in the same way, I'm sending you. Not in the way of the hymn, but in these nine specific ways that Christ was sent we too are sent. So, the Christmas story is also about us. That message of the good news, you know, the, 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 the wonderful declaration. And the same night, there were shepherds keeping watch with their flocks by night, and an angel came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were so afraid, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you who is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And as the, shepherds, and as the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. That's our ongoing duty, to make known the message of this child. For God sent him into this world, and now he sends us into this world to proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you think of that great text, may we think of our own responsibility as well. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to see that there is a tremendous work for us to do. And help us to see that we have been sent. We are not just volunteering, but we have been commissioned. But may we have the spirit of Christ who went willingly. May we too go willingly. May we accept the work that God has given us to do. And Lord, may we be about that work. May we give ourselves, not to our own agendas, but to your agenda. May we seek not to bring glory to ourselves, but to you. May we not seek to speak of ourselves, but to speak your message. Oh Lord, may we see ourselves as agents of redemption. That how can they believe without hearing? And how can they hear without their being a preacher? And how can they preach without them being sent? Lord, help us to realize that we have been sent so that people can hear. Uh, may we take the good news of our Savior and his birth to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.